please take your seats. We're going to read from the Word of God just now, from the Old Testament, a little prophecy of Haggai. Uh, just three books before the end of the Old Testament. So the easiest way to find it, turn to the Gospel of Matthew, and then go back towards Malachi, and then the prophecy of Zechariah, and then the little prophecy of Haggai, just tucked in there between Zephaniah and Zechariah. We're going to read the first chapter again. Hadn't intended to spend very long. And Haggai, just really one message, and then we didn't get finished last Lord's Day. And perhaps next Lord's Day, we'll dip very briefly into the second chapter as well, because there are encouraging words for us in the second chapter also. But let's read from chapter 1 of the prophecy of Haggai. We'll read all of the chapter together, beginning at the first verse. Haggai chapter 1, beginning at the first verse. You'll know that we are, yes, in a building project at present in our church. And as we said last Lord's Day, it wasn't my intention at all to speak about a building program or anything like that. But the Lord's guided, I believe, and at the start of the year, in our own circumstances, Haggai come up several times. And so we find ourselves in Haggai 1, and verse 1 this morning. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, in the first day of the month, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet unto Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua the son of Josedek, the high priest, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say, The time is not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste? Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Ye have sown much, and bring in little. Ye eat, but ye have not enough. Ye drink, but ye are not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountain, bring wood, and build a house, and I will take pleasure in it, and I will be glorified. Saith the Lord, ye looked for much, and lo, it came to little. And when ye brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why, saith the Lord of hosts, because of mine house that is waste, and ye run every man unto his own house. Therefore the heaven over you is stayed from dew, and the earth is stayed from her fruit. And I called for a drought upon the land, and upon the mountains, and upon the corn, and upon the new wine, and upon the oil, and upon that which the ground bringeth forth, and upon men, and upon cattle, and upon all the labor of the hands. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. And the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent them. And the people did fear before the Lord. Then spake Haggai, the Lord's messenger, and the Lord's message unto the people, saying, I am with you, saith the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, 
the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and did work in the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, in the four and twentieth day of the sixth month, in the year of Darius the king. And we know God will bless the reading of his precious word to his own glory and for all of our sakes. Well, let's turn to Haggai chapter 1, our text again, verse number 8, go up to the mountain and bring wood and build a house, and I will take pleasure in it, and I will be glorified, saith the Lord. Looking again at the first chapter of the prophecy of Haggai. Let's pray together, let's seek the Lord, and let's each and every one pray with an open heart that God will speak into our lives today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, once again, we thank Thee for the great privilege that is ours of having health and strength to be among the people of God in this, the morning of the Lord's day, with an open Bible before us and access to the throne of grace itself. We thank You, Lord, for the promise of God that we're two or three are met together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. And Lord, we're glad today that we have met together and assembled together publicly in the Savior's name. We don't meet today, O God, in the name of a church or a creed or a pastor. But Lord, we thank Thee today that we are gathered together in the name of our Savior. And we pray in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that the Spirit of God will speak into our lives, give us willing hearts. May we leave God's house this morning knowing that the Lord has met afresh with us and that the presence of God has been in the midst and that the Lord's great name has been glorified and exalted and our hearts have been touched. Lord, lead us on with Yourself. We humbly pray with thanksgiving in the Savior's precious and worthy name. Amen. God's servant Haggai is known as a post-captivity prophet. The children of Israel, many of them have returned after 70 years of bondage and captivity in Babylon, and they've returned again to Israel, and especially to the city of Jerusalem. Ezra and Nehemiah, men that God has raised up to rebuild the things that have been plundered and broken down. Nehemiah was charged with building the walls of Jerusalem and the gates, and Ezra was charged with overseeing the building again of the temple in Jerusalem that had been destroyed. And sadly, the work of God has ground to a halt, and God has raised up a man called Haggai, a man that's by and large unknown to many, but a man that was God's messenger with God's message. And Haggai's ministry was very unique in that it was met almost with immediate success. Within just three and a half weeks of beginning to declare the Word of God, the people have responded, and God's work is being reignited and reinvigorated, and God is moving in the hearts of His people, and the work of God is being carried on at a wonderful, wonderful rate. 
Last Lord's Day morning, we considered the words that were found in verse number four as a time for you to dwell in your sealed houses and this house lie waste. Haggai spoke to the people about stagnancy. There was stagnancy in the work. God's work had ground to a halt. And now for a period of something like seven years, God's work has has been dormant and stagnant. And there were many reasons for that. Some were consumed with pessimism, and they were discouraged and disappointed and defeated, and they felt that there's no real point getting involved and serious about the work of God anymore, because it will never be as it once was. And they thought back to the golden era of King David and King Solomon, and now they they look at the little bit of progress that's been made, and they have got so pessimistic and so discouraged that they feel there's no real point getting serious and enthusiastic about the things of God anymore. And some were consumed with pessimism. And we are living in a very pessimistic age in the church of Jesus Christ in this land. Many are feeling that, well, the Word of God says, in the last days perilous times shall come. Many will depart from the faith. Antichrist will arise. False religion will be to the fore. And, and therefore, there's not all that much point about getting enthusiastic because we'll only get disappointed and some are consumed with pessimism. And then another reason for the stagnancy in the work was that some were calling for procrastination. In verse number 2, some were saying, The time has not come that the Lord's house should be built. They were saying it's just not the right time to get involved in the work of God. Other things are more important. And we can procrastinate and postpone and put this off to some more convenient time. And they somehow had the idea that they had plenty of time in the future to get enthusiastic about the work of God. And they just felt the best thing for us to do now is postpone the work and procrastinate because the work of God can wait. And that is not, that is not the attitude that God would have His people to embrace. God wants us to be enthusiastic, I believe. God wants us to be optimistic. And God as well, I believe, wants us to be urgent because all around us, there are so many people who have got great needs in their lives, spiritual needs, and people around us are lost and dying without a Savior. And we need to take that to heart. And then others were conflicted with their priorities. And some were thinking, well, there's a work to be done, yes, but my work and my pleasures and the things that I am concerned with individually are more important than the things of God. And therefore, I will give God the leftovers, but I'll I'd really feather my own nest first, and some were failing to seek first the kingdom of God. And they were consumed with their own livelihoods and their own interests, and those things have their place and they're important. And the Lord's interested in those things as well in our lives. And Matthew chapter 6, the Lord speaks about our food and our clothing and our warmth and our shelter and our stature and providing for the needs of our homes and families. And the Lord, of course, is interested in those things and asks us to pray about those things. 
But he says in Matthew 6, 33, if you seek first the kingdom of God, all of those other things shall be added unto you. The Lord says, if you put me first, I will see to all of those other things. And then the result was, whenever they were consumed with pessimism and calling for postponement and conflicted in their priorities, they were also cursed with poverty. They sowed much and they brought in little. They ate, but they were never filled. They drank, but they were never satisfied. They were clothed, but they weren't warm. And it seemed that all of the money and all of the things that they were living for were just being put into a a bag that was filled with holes. And they were losing so much. And they were never really satisfied. And a great drought and a great famine had arisen in the land, and barren times had come. And we're living in days of barrenness, not only economically and morally, but also individually and spiritually. Many professing believers today are so dissatisfied and discontent and disquieted. And maybe it's because we have got our priorities wrong. But you know, the Lord wants to encourage the people here through the prophet Haggai. And so while you've got a lot in the first chapter about the stagnancy of the work, praise God as well, you've also got something regarding the strengthening of the workers. Him writer said, strength for thy labors, the Lord will provide. And in the word of God, God himself promises to strengthen his people. Maybe today you feel so desperately weakened and wearied. Maybe today you feel that you just don't have the strength and the resolve to go on in the work of God. Maybe even in life itself, some of you today are weary. Some have got so discouraged. Not just with the things of God, perhaps, but even with life itself. And you just feel lethargic. And you feel that the burdens of life have got on top of you. And you just think, how can I possibly go on? Well, God promises strength to those who who honor Him. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 40 and verse number 31, the Lord says, They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. And God's giving a picture of people who have lost their strength. You see, you can't run on empty. You can't live the Christian life in the flesh. And even whenever we're seeing to all of the needs of our day-to-day living, you can't run on empty. It's important to have a good diet. It's important to exercise. But it's also vitally important to take time to rest. The Bible says that that's one of the reasons that God gives His beloved sleep. We sang in the metrical psalm earlier the words that are found in Scripture. It is vain for you to sit up late and to rise up early and to eat the bread of sorrows. And so God gives His beloved sleep. And it's important as well to have a day of rest. God Himself rested from His labors. 
And he set down that precedent that there needs to be a, a day of rest in our lives as well. And then that spiritual rest whereby we come aside and spend time in the presence of God and wait on the Lord. And God says, if we wait on Him, He will renew our strength. And then furthermore, Isaiah 41.10, God says, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. God said through the prophet Daniel, the people that do know their God shall be strong and shall do exploits. And so as we rest in the Lord and wait in the Lord and seek the face of God and delight ourselves in the Lord and get to know the Lord more intimately, that provides spiritual strength. And then whenever the Lord called the early church to go into all the world and preach the gospel, do you remember the promise that he gave them? Tarry in Jerusalem. Wait in Jerusalem. And that's just what we're told in the book of Isaiah. Tarry in Jerusalem. Wait on the Lord and you'll be endued with power from on high. Or as it says in Acts 1.8, ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. And in the days of the prophet Haggai, the people had been weakened by worldliness. They had been weakened by weariness. They had been weakened by worry. And they needed strength to fulfill the will of God in their lives. And I believe as we look at this first chapter that God gives them a kind of a four-point plan whereby they can enjoy the strength that God is able to give them for their labors. Look at verse number 8. Employment in God's program. God says, Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build a house. Go up into the mountain, bring wood and build a house. God's saying to the children of Israel here, Now the time has come to go forward and to rise up and to go up into the mountain. Many times the Bible speaks about the mountain of the Lord. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. And here again he says to the children of Israel, rise up and get up into the mountain. Go a little bit higher. Lift yourselves up and ascend into the hill of God. And then he says to them, and cut down the wood. Bring the wood and build. Build a house. It's a little bit like the Great Commission, isn't it? Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now Jesus Christ our Lord has said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And it's the will of God and the power of God and the person of Christ that builds the church. But God also uses means. And He also uses individuals. And here's a temple in Jerusalem and it's the will of God that the people build it. But God recognizes that He needs people to get involved and to be active. It says, go up. Not in activity but action. It also takes effort. Go up into the mountain and bring wood. 
it takes work and build. And if we're ever to see a work done for Jesus Christ in this great city, if we're ever to see a work done for God in this nation of ours, dear friends, we can pray all we want to, and that's vital. But there comes a time whenever we have to go and speak to that individual and witness to the lost. And as the hymn writer says, tell them of Jesus, the mighty to save. There comes a time whenever God's people need to rise up and go up into the mountains and get active and busy and begin to cut down a few trees and bring them down into the city of Jerusalem and begin to build and put the trees together. Don't just pray that the trees will fall down and come tumbling down the mountainside, and in the process all of the branches will be broken off, and then the Lord by His own hand will lift them up. He says to the children of Israel, you need to go up into the mountain and cut down trees and bring down the wood. And it speaks of being active and busy. It's good to pray for people. But dear friend, when was the last time we actually went to somebody individually and said to them, listen, I love you. And I've been praying for you. And I know a little bit about the burdens that you carry in life. But can I tell you that there's a Savior that's able to meet you at the point of need? Would you like to come to God's house and hear the Word of God? Will you come to a, a meeting with me? Would you read this little gospel tract? Would you receive an invitation and actually go and endeavor to cut down a few trees so that God's spiritual temple, God's spiritual house can be built? God says He will strengthen the workers. And that involves employment in God's program. But you'll notice as well it also involves the enjoyment of God's promise. Verse number 8, go up into the mountain and bring wood and build a house. And then there's this beautiful promise. And I will take pleasure in it. And I will be glorified, saith the Lord. What a promise for every Christian worker this morning. Isn't it incredible to think that the little bit that we do in obedience to the Lord for His honor and for His glory can bring pleasure to the heart of God? That's a, a, a lovely, lovely thing. God says, you build a house. I will be glorified and I will take pleasure in it. Is there any greater incentive to do something for the Lord is there any greater motive to do something for the Lord than God saying, I will take pleasure in it. I will be glorified, saith the Lord. And folks, this morning, if that is our sole concern and our sole motive, I want God to be honored. I want my Savior to be exalted. I want the smile of God in my life. I want God to be glorified, whether people listen or forbear, whether they respond or whether they reject what I'm trying to do, whether they thank me for it or despise me for it. All the Christian workers should be concerned about is the glory of God and the smile of God and the pleasure of God. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. To do something that God takes pleasure in is the Christian's chief joy. 
My longing for this church and for the ministry of this church, whether it's on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night, Sunday school, Bible class, children's meetings, youth fellowship meetings, outreach on a Friday, door-to-door work on a Tuesday, mother and toddlers on a Tuesday morning, or any ministry of this church, what's our burden, what's our desire? That God would take pleasure in it and that God himself will be glorified. That is our soul calling in life, to bring glory to the heart of God. And then there's also another means of strengthening the workers, not just employment in God's program, not just the enjoyment of God's promise, but look at verse number 13, the experience of God's presence. Then spake Haggai, the Lord's messenger, in the Lord's message, unto the people, saying, I am with you, saith the Lord. What a, what a wonderful, wonderful thing that is. God saying to his people, I am with you, saith the Lord. It sounds so simple, doesn't it? But if we could really take it to heart, here's the people, and we've mentioned they've got discouraged. They've got disillusioned. They've got disappointed. They have been weakened by worldliness and worry and weariness. And the Lord recognizes there's a people, and for years now they've lost out with God. I'm going to raise up a prophet. And the prophet's going to go with this simple message and say, I'm with you, saith the Lord. Do you ever feel that you've let the Lord down? Do you ever feel that you haven't performed well as a Christian? Have you ever yielded to some sin or temptation? And you think God is finished with me? Do you ever think, well, I was involved once in the work of God, and then I left the trial down, and I laid down my sword, and I got disappointed and discouraged and downcast? Maybe God is finished with me. I meet Christians all the time, and sometimes that's the thing that they worry about most. Maybe God's finished with me. Maybe God's got nothing more for me. And that's how these people were feeling. And then the prophet Haggai came with a word from the Lord. And God simply says, I am with you, saith the Lord. The God of heaven, Jehovah God, is with his people. And whenever you have the Lord with you, friends, his work is never such a burden. It's whenever we labor in the flesh and we get discouraged, and maybe we look at the progress that has or hasn't been made, and we get so discouraged, and we look at others who have laid down their sword and laid down their child, we get disappointed. But if we know the Lord's with us, it makes all the difference. Because in His presence, there's fullness of joy, and at His right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Whenever the early church were small in numbers, And they had been depleted, and many had forsaken the Lord, and yet they went forward, the Bible says, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Matthew 11, the Savior said, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. The yoke speaks of service. But whenever we know that the Lord's with us, The service is never a burden. His yoke is easy, and his burden is light. But the way of the transgressor is hard. 
It's whenever we go our own way and do our own thing and get away from the Lord's will and plan for our lives that we become like the people in Haggai's day and we so much and we bring in little and everything seems to be such a burden and such a chore and we put our wages into bags that are filled with holes and we think, what's the point? But the Lord, when He says, I am with you, makes all the difference, friend, in the world. The presence of God in the house. I am with you. Build a house. I will take pleasure in it. I will be glorified. And all the while that you're working, I'm with you. There's a lovely verse in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2 and verse 1, about a little house, and it says it was noised abroad that the Lord was in the house, and the presence of the Lord was there to heal the people. What a testimony that little house had. Wouldn't that be a lovely testimony for your house, for your home? There is a family in the Lord's with them. Wouldn't that be a beautiful testimony for this church here on this corner in Lisburn? Noised abroad, best form of advertising in the world. The Lord's in that place. God is speaking. Lives are being touched. A number of years ago, I was speaking to a brother in the Lord. I'm sure he's well into his 70s now. He was giving something of his testimony And he was saved many years ago as a young man in his late teens and early twenties under the ministry of the Reverend Samuel Workman. He said at that time, all of those years ago, he was ministering in Abbott's Cross Congregational Church in North Belfast. He says, one night I was out with a friend and we were in a car together. He was driving and I was sitting in the passenger seat and we had no interest at all in the things of God. And we were driving past Abbott's Cross Congregational Church and my friend, the driver, turned around and he pointed at that church and he said, never go in there because if you go in there, you'll get saved. That's what he said. And he said, curiosity got the better of me. And within a month, I was in that church And then the second night of attending the church under the ministry of the Reverend Samuel Workman, I was saved. What a testimony. You go into that church, you'll get saved. You go into that place, you'll meet with God. You go into that place, you'll come under conviction. You go into that place, your heart will be opened. And this is what God is saying through the prophet Haggai. I will be in that house. I will be in that place. Strength for thy labors the Lord will provide. Look at verse number 12, the fourth part of this four-point plan for strength. Employment in God's program. Enjoyment of God's promise. The experience of God's presence. Verse number 12, engagement in God's purpose. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as their Lord had, Lord their God had sent them, and the people did fear before the Lord. You know what's happening here? The fear of God is returned to the people of God. This was the problem. They had lost that sense of reverence. They had lost the blessing of God in their hearts. They somehow had lost the conscious sense of the presence of God amongst them. They weren't listening to the Lord any longer. God's Word was closed and their hearts were closed to the Word. And then suddenly, whenever Haggai the prophet came, 
with a word from God and began to speak, the fear of God came again. And the people began to recognize who the Lord was. For years they'd been going through the motions, but they had somehow lost the sense of the presence of God in the midst of His people. And the fear of God had departed, but now they're fearing the Lord again. Why? Because somebody has come with a word from the Lord. You know, I believe whenever God really speaks into your hearts and lives, it's not just a sermon that you hear on a Sunday, not just an outline, not just truth, not just the Bible, but the Spirit of God applying the Word to the hearts of His people. And friend, whenever God speaks to your heart and you know God has spoken to me, that will cause a sense of reverence and a sense of godly fear. And whenever they began to fear the Lord, it says that the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. Dear friends, can I say afresh, obedience to Jesus Christ is not legalism. It is just another symptom of God's salvation. We're living in an era in the church where people hate the word, legal, or hate the word obedience. They hate the word accountability. They hate the word responsibility. They hate the word duty. And maybe it's because we have lost the fear of God. There's no point listening to the word of God if we're not willing to obey it. Leonard Ravenhill used to ask his people, why do you want to hear more sermons? Have we not got enough to give an account for already? Comes a time whenever it's important to really assess, are we really listening to the Lord today? Are we really taking His Word to heart? Dear friends, obedience changes things. These people can sit and pray all they want and listen to as many sermons as they want, but until they get real with God and begin to take the Word of God to heart, the house is never going to be built. And the work of God will never go forward. We'll never see revival blessing. We'll never really see people converted and saved unless we're willing to go up into the mountain and bring wood and bring it down so that God's house might be built. Notice one thing, our last point today, we have thought about the stagnancy in the work. We have thought as well about the strengthening of the workers. But notice in closing verse number 14, the stirrings of the Lord. There's a question, if you like, that's asked in the prophecy of Isaiah, chapter 64 and verse number 7 where God, in a sense, says, there is none that calleth, or Isaiah says to the Lord, there is none that calleth upon thy name, that stirreth up himself to take hold of thee. For thou hast hid thy face from us and consumed us because of our iniquities. And the prophet Isaiah is asking the Lord, Lord, why, why does nobody stir themselves? Lord, why is it that nobody stirs up their hearts to really take God at His Word and to lay hold upon Thee? We're living in days where people don't really stir themselves. And there's a stagnancy and a sense of stillness, perhaps, lukewarmness, if you like, in the church of Jesus Christ. And we don't really seem to be stirred the way God's people once were. Make an appeal for a prayer. There are a few that stir themselves. 
make an appeal for evangelism, and there are few that stir themselves. Make an appeal to seek the face of God for an outpouring of the Holy Ghost, that God might visit our land and nation, and perhaps there are few that stir themselves. In light of great privilege, in light of great promise, in light of great potential to do a work for God, to experience God, it seems there are few that stir themselves. But it says in Haggai chapter 14 that the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel. God came and stirred the hearts of his people. Folks, that's what we long for in these days. That's what many are praying for, that God, the Lord, would come and stir up the hearts of his people. Do you ever buy a product for the home? And if you read the instructions, it says, shake well before use. It might be something as simple as a carton of orange juice. And if you don't turn it upside down and shake it, all of the sediment sinks to the bottom and you've got light, thin juice on top and then at the bottom, a sludgy, slight substance. And sometimes you need to take it and shake it and stir it up. And sometimes we need shaken, don't we? Sometimes we need stirred up in the work of God. This is my great need, that the Spirit of God would stir up this heart and give me fresh enthusiasm for the work of God. The Holy Ghost stirring and moving in our midst again. He stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was the first governor of Judah after they had returned from exile. He was a political leader in the land, and he was to oversee the physical building again of God's temple. And God stirred up the heart of Zerubbabel in spite of the difficulties. And then we read about Joshua, the high priest. Now, this is not Joshua, the successor to Moses. This is another Joshua. Joshua, the high priest, the spiritual leader in Judah. And I tell you, Joshua knew what disappointment was. Joshua knew what discouragement was. I believe Joshua knew what depression was. We read in Zechariah chapter 3 and verse number 1 that Joshua the high priest stood before the angel of the Lord and he was trying to pray and then Satan came alongside at his right hand to resist him. So not all of the resistance in the work of God was physical. Much of the resistance in the work of God was spiritual and diabolical. And maybe you've been trying to pray and seek the face of God, and you've felt the resistance of the enemy. Joshua the high priest knew what that was. And yet the Lord himself came to Joshua and stirred up his heart and reinvigorated him. And then it goes on to say at the end of verse number uh, 14, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people, and they came and did work in the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. Zerubbabel was stirred. Joshua the high priest was stirred. And then all the remnant of the people, everyone that had a heart for the work of God, they were stirred in their hearts together. Because God had a work for every single one to do. You might not be a Zerubbabel. You might not be a Joshua. 
I am certainly not a Zerubbabel or a Joshua. I'm a one-talent guy. And maybe you look at yourself and think, well, I don't have five talents or ten talents or maybe not even two talents. One talent. But friends, whatever your gift is, and God has gifted you in a way that he hasn't gifted me, And God has got a plan and a purpose for every believer in the work of God. And if God stirs up all of our hearts together, and we have a fresh commitment and consecration to the work of God, what could be done for the Lord in these closing days of time? A fresh touch, a fresh stirring from the Lord. Some of you might have read many years ago some of the writings of Bishop Mule of England. Bishop Handley Moole. He was an old Keswick preacher. I've got a lot of books in the house there, some of the old Keswick week books from the 1930s, the 1950s, and the early 1960s. Mighty, mighty men of God, those old Keswick speakers. Bishop Moole became one of them. He was converted at the age of 25. Shortly after his conversion, he entered into the ministry. He testified that for several years... In the ministry of the Word of God, he felt absolutely useless. He said, I was absolutely powerless. My ministry seemed to be so ineffective. He wrote a letter to his father and said, Dad, I'm, I'm throwing the towel and I can't do it anymore. Times are hard and my ministry is so ineffective. His father wrote back and told him, encouraged him to stick at it and he pressed on. In the year 1886, Moody and Sankey came to Cambridge. Moody preached the gospel for a number of weeks. As Bishop Handley Moole sat under the ministry of D.L. Moody, his heart was stirred as Moody oftentimes addressed the Christians and encouraged them to seek the infilling of the Holy Ghost. And Bishop Moole sat there as a young servant of the Lord. He went the next year in 1887 to the Keswick Convention. It hadn't been in existence for all that long. And listened to men preach about the victorious Christian life. One of the preachers was a, a lay preacher, a Christian businessman by the name of William Sloan. And in one of those Bible readings, William Sloan, a lay preacher, a businessman, preached from the book of Haggai, chapter 1 and verse number 6. Ye have sown much and bring in little. Ye eat, but ye have not enough. Ye drink and are not filled with drink. Ye clothe ye, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. And Bishop Mule sat there in those meetings and thought, that's me. So unproductive, so unsuccessful. And then that preacher, William Sloan, made this statement. And I think it applies to us all. He said, when self rules our hearts instead of Christ, our souls are lean. Only the life fully committed to Christ is spirit-filled and victorious. Simple statement, isn't it? When self rules our hearts, instead of Christ, our souls are lean. Only the life fully committed to Christ is spirit-filled and victorious. And that night, consciously, Handley Moole yielded himself fully to Jesus Christ, trusted Christ to fill him with the Spirit of God, and went on to do a great work for God, 
and began to preach at that very convention that he had sat in and been so convicted. Dear friends, let's rededicate our lives to Jesus Christ. Let's enthrone Christ in the thrones of our hearts. Let's take up the challenge of the Great Commission, the challenge of prayer and witnessing and spirit-filled living, and let's get a fresh vision for what God can do when His people are yielded and surrendered to Him. May God write His Word upon our hearts this morning.